on today's episode of Project Pundits Unplugged. Defining the quasi-mob. A mob adjacent. He's mob adjacent, you know. So I I I get the concept in the context that you shared it. Do I really know what a mob adjacent is? You're not a made you're not a made man. You're in there. You're you're clean, but how to build a dedicated group of followers? Methodology, framework, cult. I mean, if we can go as far as a cult, I'm all for it. Um, uh, but I really don't want to be another S- process. Somehow, thing. I knew that this would end up some, at least uh, in an attempt to be Jim creating his. Yeah, own you don't cult understand. So we we have some notes, and I'm reading now. I'm just actually reading Braden's notes, and they're very rude about me. Um, so. <laughs> No, um, Jim. Oh my gosh. No, just ignore the parts in red. That's those are for me. Yeah, those are my okay. personal Show notes. notes. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome everyone to our next episode project pundits unplugged we uh, last time we talked a little bit about some of the importance of focusing on principles over process so many principles so there there are many principles there are many processes i'm very principled uh debatable but here's here's what's more important is we want to talk today about some of those principles that help organize delivery and help you get project work done. Um, We'll touch base a little bit on some of the process and tools that often go along with those. But going back to our general approach to things, we're going to talk and focus more on the principles. um, And and then we'll let you know how the tools fit into those principles, uh, but not exclusively focus on, uh, on the tooling other than to let you know where they are. Um, and in order to do that, we're going to introduce you to our our project, Pundits Unplugged. We're, we're going to call it a strategy framework, for a, for lack of a better term. Jim, the, the strategy framework does that work for you? Whatever. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, I think I think we we we've got to collectively as we we talk through through stuff, we need to have some framework for when we're, we're when we're kind of talking about what we mean by a project and whatnot. So, you know. At the risk of creating yet another methodology framework cult. I mean, if we can go as far as a cult, I'm all for it. Um, uh, but I really don't want to be another S- process. Somehow, thing. I knew that this would end up some, at least uh, in an attempt to be Jim creating his. Yeah, own you don't cult understand. So we we have some notes, and I'm reading now. I'm just actually reading Braden's notes, and they're very rude about me. Um, so <laughs> no. Um, Jim, oh my gosh. No, just ignore the parts in red. That's those are for me. Yeah, those are my okay. personal Show notes. notes. <laughs> it does mention Jim and Machiavelli in the <laughs> yeah. same sentence though, which we should know. But here's here's the most important part. We're gonna talk a little bit about a framework that that really is based on many years of experience that both Jim and I have had in the trenches um, of, of how we go about, I'll say, I'll call it setting up a project for success. So, so the the phases that that we sort of follow in establishing and setting up any any sort of a project or program for success are really ideation, strategy, planning, execution, operationalization, 
and then closure. We're going to tend to give closure a little short end of the stick sometimes, but those phases essentially allow you to set up a project um, in the best way to enable it for success. And what, what is unsurprising to me is most project managers, because of their nature, um, want to jump into the execution phase. And, and we're going to talk about how the first three phases prior to execution are actually, I think, far more critical to enabling you to be successful than the even the execution phase, which sounds counterintuitive, but we'll talk about it. So ideation um, is where you establish a, a few really important things. And the first one is, why are you doing what you're doing? Um, it, it seems, I know to most project managers, they, they get an executive that says, go implement this new system. And you say, yes, sir. And you go off and you implement the new system. The first phase um, can set you up for much better success, and here's why. The first question that you should be asking is why you're doing what you're doing. And when someone says, I want to implement the new system, really the first starting point should be, awesome, that's fantastic, great. Tell me a little bit about what you're hoping to achieve with that new system, right? How does this fit into the goals that you're trying to accomplish? What does the system get you that you don't have today? Um, and then you understand, hey, how does this system help us achieve those goals, right? Or, or how does the solution that we're thinking about get us to where you say that you're trying to go? You would be astonished at how many times people start out with a system because a salesperson gave a no, really no. great presentation. No, 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 no. I think you're, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Not even. Yeah, yeah. Smoke, smoking hot sales rep. <laughs> sex agnostic. Uh, tickets to sports games, uh, houses on Martha's Vineyard, just straight cash under the table. Um, I, I mean, you can't discount that those are valid reasons. I mean, for that, then you're going to try to build logic around it, but you can ask those questions. I mean... Oftentimes, though, and, and, and you know, to Jim's point, there can be great salespeople out there who get people, let, let's assume that, that people have uh, uh, no ulterior motives and, and are uh, very ethical in their dealings. Even then, a salesperson can get folks really excited and motivated without helping uh, you know, a leader say, okay, but how does the system actually address needs that I have? Aside from being shiny and have really beautiful reporting and maybe it does what it does really fast, is being faster something that you care about? What shiny reports actually do something better than what you have today? So um, stopping to take in the ideation phase stock of why you're doing what you're doing, um, not letting those pre-selected solutions or, or vendor packages, whatever it is, drive that conversation, um, will help you to kind of in a calm, collected way, establish what your goals are and how the solution might help those goals. As you're doing this, this work, you're going to see a lot of common tools that help drive this process that exist out there. So things like doing um, an ROI, a return on investment analysis. Um, there's, there's documents to often put together like a vision or a goal that can be a, a business case. Um, you could do a, something called a SWOT analysis, or there are mind maps, there's storyboarding. There's lots of different tools to help capture or 
process the thinking. But the ultimate principles and goals involved here um, are to, to be able to establish what you're trying to do with this initiative and whether or not connect the solution to those goals um, without which you can find yourself far down. You know, Jim and I talked, I think, in, in the last episode about half a billion dollars worth of work that's been done. And you realize at that point, this work isn't accomplishing the goal. If, even if we did it perfectly, doesn't accomplish the goal. Um, and if you can, at the ideation phase, establish that well, you save yourself a lot of pain and suffering. Yeah, and I think, anything I'm, yeah no, yeah. no, connecting back to, to the last, when we talk about being the CEO of the project, think think of, of this as you uh, getting enough information to sell your idea to the board and build a business case, right? So those questions that you'd want to answer, like, you know, why are we funding you for this? What what are you trying to accomplish and everything else? You should have your story in order. The more you think through that, right, it's your first opportunity to, you know, keep yourself from going down a, a, a bad path with the project. And, now, and, and you can't, can, can I just say, you, you can't assume that leadership has already done that work for you. You know, again, not all this is always in your control. In fact, a lot of times it's not. This is simply saying, look, these are these are good principles to follow. Um, you know, if you have the opportunity to do it, even if you have to rapidly do it, you know, it's it just starts to, to put the right frameworks around what it is you're trying to do, right? Which translates nicely into the next piece, which is which is essentially a refinement on the ideation, right? So what is your strategy, right? A strategy, again, simplest way to think about a strategy, the who, what, when, where, and how, and how much. Um, and so when you start to develop the strategy, you're taking that idea and you're and you're really you're really blowing it out further. Uh, you know, setting goals, setting objectives, um, talking about you know how you're potentially going to approach solving this problem. Um, who's going to be involved with it? Uh, how long is it going to take? How much it's going to cost? Right? Um, and it it's really that opportunity to start to set expectations. Um, which we talk, we'll talk about over and over and over and over, right? One of the most important things as a project manager is making sure people understand where your project is, understand it, and they're there with you. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is not have stakeholders understand where your project is. And then when it comes to a key point, they find out it's not where it should be. So expectation setting is, is huge. Um, you know, this is where scope starts to become critical. What is the scope of your project? Where are the boundaries? Um, you know, to me, scope is one of the key fundamental things, right? You know, and, and scope is defined in a positive and negative way, meaning what is it? And also many times what it's not is just as important um, than saying what it is. I would say the majority of projects are an agreement that you have with a customer to, again, I'm, I'm very, I'm very generic on this, but to take something from one state to another within a time frame for a certain amount of money, right? I, most projects are like that. I would like a website to take orders with this product by October 15th because I have sales projections on there. So. Those are things you want to suss out in your project because those are your success criteria and your boundaries. And if you don't do that, you're going to fail. Like 
there there are certain things where it's like oh we're going to introduce a new product slowly and we're going to beta test and right there are things that more fit the other mold but but generally as a project you really want your stakeholders to tell you what it is they want and if they can't articulate it honestly that's a flag where you should stop and say you shouldn't start investing money these should be gates like if you can't tell me enough to frame this out then we got to pull back so anyways we don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole on this one you know um you know we have the stakeholder stakeholder definitions huge right and again this is an opportunity to where at a at the higher level now you're going to get when you get down to like role-based responsibilities racy matrices and everything you're going to get down to the detail level but at this level you should at least get agreement of what groups are involved and what their general responsibilities are going to be in so far as this project like you're going to be involved in in you know you have the membership and you're going to have to work to integrate that membership into this solution, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's important. And another critical piece to the who piece is understanding who the decision makers are And it. And I will tell you, fight tooth and nail to try not to have decision making by a committee. And this will be always the push for organizations because no one wants to be the person sticking their neck out. But you really want a name in the box, um, you know, as much as you can push for that. Um, so this is another area where you're like, who's in charge? And sometimes it's different levels of different people, but you want to know who those decision makers are, both at a, if you're dealing with a larger effort, both at a kind of high level, executive level, and then executives aren't going to be available to you on a daily basis. So if you have a project that is, you know, it's longer term. A lot of times you're going to want to know who those day to day decision makers are for things. Right. And that's all important uh, level setting at this stage in a strategy. The most important one. So scope is probably my most important one right behind that. And this is just through my sheer experience with dealing with garbage is understanding not just understanding constraints and when i say constraints it's your standard ones like hey we have a we have a customer commitment by 121 we need to reach or there's a regulatory um you know rule going into place by 11 there's um you know uh there could be any number of of things so dates are one big thing we have a fixed budget we have you know 1.2 Two five million dollars. There's a constraint, so you have to operate within there. Um, you can't use offshore teams because there's sensitive data. There's, um, you know, we can't work overtime. You can't like it could be anything. It could be all these things. The the, the constraints that are most important are the ones no one says. <laughs> like, I have a constraint that I have to use this dumbass process that the PMO has come up with. And so therefore it's going to add 42 and a half percent overhead to every resource because they have to attend 25 stupid meetings a week. That is a constraint. I have to use these frameworks and this, and these people, you know, in this methodology, you need to know these things. These are all really important things that put those boundaries around the operating environment. You have to operate on like, it, if Jody, who's the vice president of finance, hates Sean, who's like, I don't know, the head of IT, they hate each other. They won't sit in a room. That is a dynamic you need to understand and work around. Yeah. Does it suck that you're in the middle of that? Like, uh, 
like a child trying to negotiate between parents? Yes, but like if you don't, you're going to fail as a project manager. So when we talk about principles and things like that, this is the this is the stuff where we've had experience that we always get caught like dealing with this stuff. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you another one. If you identify and we worked for the same boss at one point, if you identify someone who is going to be a troublemaker who just raises crap no matter what like even if everything's good they're they're gonna find something and raise crap he was a little more cutthroat than even i was on this stuff he would go as many levels as he need to to remove that person out of the project because you know nine months into it that person's still going to be wreaking havoc so understanding where you have blockers and things potentially so Anyways, and I see Braden smiling. Uh, I was just, I was trying to uh, think for a second if I should like go ahead and and list all of the troublemakers that specifically over the years we've we've removed ahead of time to say, well, there was this person, and then maybe just bleep them out, you know, on the on the. Uh, I they didn't probably. I didn't read invite you lips, to the so. meeting. Like, uh huh. Just, <laughs> was just oversight. I'll get you in the next one, and then you know, just going down down through that. I mean, you got your. Your timeline, so again, setting expectations, usually a roadmap level. I mean, like, you know, to deliver this, given everything, given all these parameters is what we think a timeline is. It's, again, an opportunity for people to communicate back, whether that's in alignment with their thoughts or not. Um, And then, you know, and this is one of Braden's key points, again, and we'll reiterate this over and over and over. How are you going to, what is your strategy for communicating updates on the project, keeping stakeholders informed, not just stakeholders. Well, I mean, if you take stakeholders in its broadest sense, you know, everybody involved, vendors, executives, finance people, how are you going to keep people informed? Because nothing on a project is ever purely static, right? It always changes. So letting people know how they're going to get their updates, it saves you a lot in the long run by defining that and following through and then having clear communications. This is your first opportunity to define that. So, you know, I think we, we don't want to, um, you know, shortchange planning. It's hugely important, but planning is turning that strategy into an execution model, right? And so that's where you set up your governance models, your management models, your issue, your risk manager, your change management process, quality management, communications plan. Like if you have steering committees, things like that, how you do your status reporting, you know, how are you going to run the project, right? And this is where you start to pull together the framework for your project plan, your schedule, um, you know, and, and everything. And, and it's it's critical to get that, you know, where are you going to store documents? Where do people go? Like, how do people get involved? Like, if new people come on the project, all of that. I, th- I think, again, um, this particular one, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of rocket science around it. But again, it's it's really important you get you get these things established and understand and put it out there that your expectations of that extended project team and how they interact with those tools because that's how you're going to manage and again it's another expectation setting and doing this right is going to make your life tremendously easier because people buy into it and they do what they're supposed to do and communicate and post things and everything when you as a project manager have to pull it together your life's going to be so much easier um have the hard conversations up front um, you know, again, lots of tools here. This is where you, you start to define your raid processes, your your um, uh, uh, 
your racy matrices and all that, your tracking tools, um, templates, all that. So just the definition of them and everything else. Um, uh, you know, and then when you get into execution, which Braden is going to talk about, this is where you, you start to really flesh them out and start using them and whatnot. So I don't know, Braden, anything on planning in particular you want to add? No, I think I think planning is is really the the documentation of the strategy phase where planning is you say okay let's put pen to paper mm-hmm. we developed the how we want to go about these things now now let's start actually saying here's the the roadmap here's the the people in that communication plan here's you're you're filling it out resource and planning ex- yeah all that uh, all, all of it and then execution is where you're actually i would say using those documents Right. So planning is where you set them up. Execution. Now, I actually, as I run the project, um, you know, I, I think execution is where most PMs feel comfortable. It's their bread and butter. Right. And so most PMs, I don't think I'm going to tell most PMs uh, anything new about how to manage a good project planner. We, we can share maybe a few things, but I'll, I'll say most PMs I expect at a bare minimum to know how to have a daily, you know, or daily, some sort of cadence um, for communication and managing the execution with their stakeholders. And that's runs the gamut from, you know, if you're running uh, a, a standard agile project, you're going to have a, a set of, of cadences associated with your planning associated with your, you know, running PIs, et cetera, and, and you're going to have um, outputs that then generate the next set of planning, et cetera. So you'll have a regular cadence. Um, these sorts of things are, are what most PMs are familiar with. The, the documentation and the tools that you're using are the ones that you've set up in strategy and planning, um, only you're, now you're using them to actually manage the work, right? So a raid log is going to help drive my uh, my agendas and the content of my discussions at my meetings with the folks that I'm, I'm working with. The tools that we set up, the milestone plans and the other objectives, you know, whether it's a Microsoft project plan or JIRA or something else, those are going to be spitting out reports now. And we're going to be using those and discussing how we're tracking, what our blockers are, et cetera. Um, and, and there are obviously a host of other change management tools and, and things like that, QA and, and all the fun stuff. Um, in execution is really where the if you want to if you want to talk about the learnings that we've had over time, um, the number one and, and Jim's right in that it's a passion of mine. Frequent communication is the bread and butter of any PM. Useful. So frequent useful it, communication. They have to be useful. Fair. That's that's a good point. I, and but your your comments well well spot. And I think so so an adjacent adjacent. We're talking about adjacent earlier today. I like the different context. Anyhow, <laughs> I think the term was mob adjacent. Mob adjacent. Yeah. We'll we'll have to leave that. That is not. Yeah. But I, uh, an adjacent topic is just the rapid identification of risks and issues. Yep. So um, I wouldn't sit on a risk or an issue or a blocker for an exec. If it has to be escalated and discussed with someone, 
I wouldn't typically sit on that for, depending on the situation, more than a day. Uh, you know, I would probably share those real time or as near real time as I could get time with that executive or whoever I needed to escalate it to, to share that, um, as opposed to waiting to a planned cadence. Um, Mm-hmm. It depend, depending on the level of, of challenge that you're talking about. Um, and, and then ultimately making sure that you have um, the support of all of the stakeholders that you need. One, one of the biggest challenges that I've seen in execution is when you don't have the stakeholder participation that you need and PM sit on it. They, they just say, oh, well, you know, I guess they're not participating. They're not getting the update. Instead of either directly going to that stakeholder and say, hey, are, are you the wrong person? Uh, are you too busy? Can, can I get a delegate from you? What do I need to do to get your participation? Because I think it's critical, um, but you're not there as opposed to just saying, well, they're not there, let's move forward. And then you find out six months later, nope, this is all wrong. You should have you know, uh, uh, gotten my input. Doesn't matter that I wasn't there or not. And unfortunately, execs can and do do that sometimes. You ever experienced that, Jim, where uh, you'll have an exec say, yep, I didn't show up, but nope, this is all wrong. I've had that happen at least once. All the time. Yeah. yeah all, the common- t- all the time. I mean, I have, I have tricks to get them in a room. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, you know, I think we're already long on this episode, but there, 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 are, <laughs> there are things to entice people to come in a room and not just, you know, it's not just me unbuttoning another button on my shirt, although that works a lot too, but. Um, but uh, I do want to say something tying it back to earlier phases. So, in many cases, you're not going to get a lot of... If an organization has been bitten by the administrative PMO bug, for instance, where PMOs are useless, admin, blah, 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 they're not, they, they throw out terms like analysis paralysis and things like that, you may very well get a project and they're like... You PM monkey, start executing. I'm Chico Bonbon, monkey with a tool belt. And and what are you going to do? Sometimes you just have to do what you're told, right? But can you do all of these things without doing ideation, strategy, and planning? You can do it. What you're going to find is the the length of the project is going to go out in an indeterminate way. You're going to have to cycle through requirements multiple times, you're going to have to cycle through everything because people haven't thought through these things and you're executing against them. It's going to cost a fortune. You're probably going to miss your timelines. So what I've done, and you know, I'm sure if you're brought in any situations, unfortunately, spend the time to do a rapid behind the scenes strategy and planning phase at least so that you can get that alignment while you're executing. It's, it's, it's going to pay off because if you don't, I, I just, I I mean, I, I honestly can't think of a project that's actually been successful without, without, I'm trying to, I've always had to, I've learned early on that I've had to go back and set those parameters up and get those, those things set. Um, otherwise, I would just, it's just, you're just working tons of hours a week. You're actually managing your entire project off of issue logs, um, which is another symptom of this. Um, no one's happy. That's, and, uh, that's yeah. a that's a great one right there. A great way to tell if you're running your project off of an issue log. That is an almost certain sign that the early phases were skipped. Yeah, that's a great point. Yep, I'm I'm full of great points. Um, I just used my second camera, by the way. 
<laughs> I was yeah. I was using mine to congratulate you, Jim. You yeah. want to talk? Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, I think you know. Again, as you get the more you get through these phases, the other phases, if you do them well, become they should just come along. Now, one of the, one of the things that's fallen off in a lot of projects, and this is another passion of mine, is when you you know spending some time to figure out how to operationalize whatever it is you're delivering. And it could be anything from manufacturing to building a house to implementing a software solution to whatever it is. At some point, what you're doing as a project has to transition to a team of steady state operators for whatever it is, right? Or it needs to be handed off to the customer. And that handoff or that steady state, it you can't just assume that people have been brought along the entire way. So it, it's really important to spend time to think about how to turn what it is you delivered into something that can be used, operated, where the client can actually get the value out of what it is you delivered. Um, and if you've been setting expectations all along and you've done your tra- like sometimes it requires training and and all that, um, you know, great. But like there's there's a lot more than you would think that goes that should go into operationalization. It's not just, hey, we need to have processes and procedures and training, right? It could be, you know, what what happens if, you know, there's issues and help desk and, you know, how do you simulate the real world? So you'll start to hear things like we should do model office, which is a thing that's come up a lot. I've re, I've dusted that off and a lot of our, you know, one of the uh, sets of clients I'm working with, model office is huge to simulate what you're going to see in production because you even though you go through testing and requirements, you're never going to be able to think through every scenario. But if you start to transact like you are in production um, when you're talking about a software solution or something, it really uncovers other things. So principally with operationalization, think about the customer, think about there, and, and, and each place is going to be unique, but but really puts put some effort behind that. Um, and then, you know, ultimately... You want to get to a place where you're fully aware of what you what you implemented, and where you've made trade offs. So don't don't forget about operate uh, optimization, which is you're usually gonna have to trade something off during the project. You know, you're, if you're one of those lucky ones where you can get almost 100 percent of scope, great. But ultimately, you're probably gonna want to come back and optimize whatever whatever you've implemented and whatnot. So keep keep track of the things you've you've deferred. Um, you know. When people start using the system, ultimately it's not going to operate like they had it in their head. So, you know, there's cycles. So, uh, optimization is important important thing to keep in mind, and it, it could start right during this phase, and, and it'll continue obviously after this thing goes live. Um, and then, Braden, you want to just spend a minute on you know now the project's done. You know, you gotta you should theoretically close it right. Yeah, I you know I I said earlier I I give this one short shrift and that's only you know for for a couple of reasons. Number one, most I, I've it's it's rare that I've seen organizations give project closure a lot of time or resource to do. If if you've read from PMBOK or any number of sort of life cycle training, you know, they'll talk about all these great things that you do in, in project closure, right? And there's, there's documentation, there's, there's uh, putting things in knowledge management, there's all these things that theoretically would be a great idea to do. In practice, um, my experience has been PMs are assigned 
an additional, whatever their next gig is before they've even finished operationalization. They're running on a warranty and they've already had one, maybe two new assignments, or they've got a whole bunch of parallel things and they're doing and project closure gets very little time. Um, there are some things that I'll say you can actually uh, do quickly and, and get some benefits from, right? Um, one is project closure, even if all you do is send, let's say, the simplest project closure ever. You send an email to the, to the broad list of participants, or maybe you have a single cadence, a single meeting with everyone to say, we are officially closing this project, and here's what we did. You showcase what you accomplished. You showcase, you know, sort of all the great things that you want to share. That's an opportunity in a really simple way, whether an email or, or a simple meeting, to say, the end, check mark, this is officially putting closure to it. Um, that's the simplest way of doing it in a, a really cheap and easy way if, if not getting the other things done. In a, in a more mature PMO, you also might have the opportunity to do lessons learned, right? Where you come out of the back end of a project and you say, hey, aside from showing here's what we did, I want to show here's some of the development opportunities that we uncovered during this process. Uh, this, you know, organization X that was trying to do this for us is very, uh, you know, immature in this technology space. And uh, we might want to give them some more opportunities to uh, learn the technology or whatever before we do a serious additional production run or, or maybe gain some experience in the tool. Uh, whatever the learnings are, you know, maybe you have individuals. We've identified five more people that are on the do not use for your next project list. Here are their names. And we wouldn't really do that. But um, finding, you know, some of those lessons learned, sharing those and, and being able to potentially avoid some of those pitfalls going forward. It's another or, opportunity. Or what we, we call... Uh, by the way, this is my original thought for uh, the name of this podcast was the postmortem pod, and and Braden's like, yeah, no, no, but uh, yeah, another another name for lessons learned is a you know, a postmortem. Postmortem. But you know, but Braden's, no Braden's one ever a very does positive. No one ever does postmortems. This is what I'm saying is it is, just goes into a black hole if you do. Um, really, because really it requires self-reflection. That's just like the human population. No one does self-reflection. Like it admits when they foul things up. So, why should it be any different on a project? Um, in in reality, I'll just say it's not not a phase that gets a whole lot of attention or time. Um, you know, are there great things that can be done? There are, but it, it, would would I consider this like the most important piece of of a good life cycle? No. I wouldn't. So that's it. Yep. Uh, that's about what we wanted to cover on this one. Right. So, um, you know, we covered, I think the phases and again, the print, the principles, I think again, just to rehash it, cause we'll, we'll keep rehashing it. Thinking through these things earlier and framing things up makes all the difference in a world. Um, don't get so stuck on templates and, all of that, just more uh, some of the things we talked about, getting those questions answered uh, and then frame them up so you can communicate them and get people to understand and buy in and all that. All that's that's super critical um, and helps you, you know, again, get set up for success. Anything else you want to add, Braden? No, no, I think you covered it. Well, that's it. Signing off. Um, 
we'll catch you guys in the next episode.